music from Michael Gallen's opera Elsewhere, which runs this month at the Abbey Theatre, Dublin. And this week on Amplify, we feature conversations recorded during rehearsals in Castle Blaney with some of the creative team involved in the production. You'll hear from Michael Gallen himself, the opera's director Tom Creed, soprano Dara Halpin, who plays the main role of Celine in the opera, and conductor and music director Fiona Mombay. I'm Jonathan Grimes, and this is episode 51. I'm Michael Gallen. I'm a composer and I'm the artistic director of an opera company called Straymaker. And we're here in Intus Theatre, Castle Blaney, producing my first large scale opera, which is called Elsewhere. I came across a few lines on the Monaghan Asylum Soviet. I think in 2016 I was doing research for a commission for the 1916 centenary and literally two or three lines in a history book about this Soviet that took place in the psychiatric hospital in Monaghan town in 1919, which really pricked my ears because I had heard of the Limerick Soviet and I knew that around about that time there was this sort of upsurge of left-wing radical thought in Ireland. But the idea that it had happened so close to home for me, I'm from Castle Blaney, was a new thing. And the more I began to research the history, the more it just stood out as being very odd and very forward thinking for its time. It was that the staff of the asylum at the time in Monaghan had gone on strike because they were in the middle of the Spanish flu pandemic and had been really overworked. They were working 96 hour weeks and they also were looking for pay equality between the male and female workers, which nowadays is still something that's being spoken about. So the idea that 100 years ago in Monaghan, these were the ideas that were being thrown around was a real surprise to me. And it happened that Padre O'Donnell, who was working with the Transport and General Workers Union, was in Monaghan at the time. And so they approached him and asked him to coordinate their strike. And he convinced them to lock themselves into the hospital so that they could have this lock-in strike where they'd gain leverage over the asylum authorities without compromising on the care of the patients. And they were able to coordinate this Soviet, so a kind of a Soviet commune based on the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, because of the fact that they had all the means of production themselves. So there was a farm on the grounds of the asylum. They also had their own baker, their own butcher. It really was a society that could coordinate itself. And so when they locked themselves in, O'Donnell had this idea also that they would integrate the patients into the operation of the Soviet. And so he distributed 
the same uniforms to everybody, whether they be staff or patients. And in doing so, really radicalised the mental health care that was taking place in the asylum as well. And I suppose the thought that kept on coming back to me is what must it have been like to have been a patient at that time? If you had been a relatively young person in 1919 and had experienced this radical moment where you were involved in this Soviet and barricading the gates and in organising a sort of society where you're really involved and you're at the centre, and then to experience the decades afterwards of just being dehumanised and being hidden away basically from the rest of society in an institution. That was really what drew me into the story of the Soviet, you know, and the possibility of how I could tell the story of this historical event, but through the perspective of a patient who's in the hospital decades afterwards. There are seven singers in the piece. So there's this main character, Celine, who's sort of our portal into the entire world of the Soviet. And the other six all play various aspects of her internal or external life. So either in her physical presence in the asylum decades after the Soviet, or in these moments where she manages to somehow whip them into a frenzy where they become a part of her vision. And at a certain point, that also bleeds into the orchestra. So the orchestra are on stage and they become a part of the architecture of her vision. And I suppose I love that because it makes it all one creative process. Rather than me sitting down with a score and developing musical ideas and then thinking about dramaturgy, the idea is that the dramaturgy is inherent to the score from the beginning. I suppose the score is a script in a way as well. It has a lot of stage directions in it and a lot of musical ideas grow out of dramaturgical ideas. Creed. I'm a stage director. I work in theatre and opera and I'm currently working on Elsewhere by Michael Gallen. The opera in a way takes place in the mind of Celine, our protagonist, who we meet decades after the strike and um, who's revisiting the events of the strike over and over again in her head and who also has a, a kind of ongoing sort of Napoleon complex where she imagines herself to be Padre O'Donnell, the revolutionary socialist leader of the strike. The piece moves between sequences which are more internal and more spare and then alternately into kind of very expressive theatrical scenes. So sometimes we we move into Celine's head and then other times the contents of Celine's head kind of explode out onto the stage. The strike was looking for gender equality as well as general better pay and working conditions. Those struggles that, you know, are are still occupying us nowadays were there at the formation of the state, but they were conveniently left to one side. We're dealing with similar but different inequalities, different protest movements and different ideologies, but actually a lot of our concerns are the same, you know, and I think the idea behind staging a work like this is about looking at how far or not that we've come from then about what's changed, about the things that remain the same, about the things that have been addressed and the things that haven't been addressed. There was a period that I spent in residency in a psychiatric hospital in Switzerland in order to research the project. So I was over for two months in a place called Malivo in Switzerland. And the reason I went there was because I had read a book by the director of the hospital who was speaking about the use of the creative arts as a means of re-socialising people after acute mental illness. And 
in the two months that I was there, I gave musical workshops. Primarily, I just listened and spoke to people. And I feel like that was a real turning point for me in the creation of the opera, where I started to understand who the voices were that I wanted to bring to life on stage. And I suppose also learning more about Celine's voice and how to simultaneously show somebody who has a vulnerability about them or, you know, that there's a, a crack in them, but at the same time that has a huge intelligence and compassion. It's become now about Celine and what that character represents and bringing the audience on a journey where at the beginning they might identify more with the authorities in the hospital in terms of the way that they rationally explain Celine's situation but that over the course of the opera that the sense of how that diagnostic power can be abused really starts to come home to them and that you sort of understand that Celine's voice is the one that has the most value. The thing that is certainly true about 1919 and the decades afterwards is that there were vast swathes of people who were in there for lots of reasons that had nothing to do with mental health. Whether that be poverty or familial embarrassment about somebody with an eccentric personality. Also, at times you see situations where it's personal vendettas or feuds because the way that the system worked was that whoever signed you in had to sign you back out again up until the 60s. And so you have people that just end up in these institutions being forgotten about and they can't leave. And obviously the way that people react to being put into an institution against their own will is hysterical. And then you suddenly get into this cycle of being medicalized. And, you know, I think that that's the really scary thing. That idea that the natural reaction would be to fight against being put into a place like that against your own will. And then in fighting, then you sort of adopt the behavior of what people traditionally think of as a psychiatric patient. And all of a sudden you're in the cycle. I'm Dara Halpin and I'm singing the role of Celine. She is someone who has been put in one of these asylums and we don't really know why. It could be something very general or non-specific as it is in this case. Certainly if she wasn't mad before she went in, her experiences in the asylum drive her to develop these different personalities, if you like, in order to cope with what she's experienced. So there's a number of scenes that recur for her, like when she was arriving at the asylum, when she goes through the experience of the uprising within the asylum and, you know, the treatment she receives there. And she refers to these different characters, these different moments, like her mother, her younger self, and Pat O'Donnell, the revolutionary himself, to help her cope in those moments and have some sort of autonomy. The challenge for me now is to find a physical language for all those different parts of her character because sometimes she flickers from character to character moment to moment almost so to find a really clear way of defining that for Celine herself but also for the audience has been really interesting to explore. Oh, 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 oh. 
always use physicality when we're thinking about developing a character and um, we use our physicality in how we relate to other people on stage but also how we both indicate emotions that we're feeling and drive ourselves to experience those emotions. So with Celine, because she glitches and flickers in and out of different people, that transition that we go through from emotion to emotion and that kind of arc is missing or disturbed in her case. So we've been looking at very specific gestures that would align with maybe recurring phrases. So there's phrases in the opera that we have assigned to Celine's mother, for example. And when she speaks or remembers her mother speaking, we look for a physical gesture that's maybe her experience of that moment. So somehow the moment is kind of repeated on her and she has no choice but to assume the physicality. And that really helps for the audience and for everyone else in the scene to understand where Celine is. things that Michael has done which I think is so extraordinary is that he's managed to have this story explode into life on the national stage with immense theatricality and humour and sadness and it really feels like theatre to me. The decisions about the kind of shifts in gear, the choices of instrumental and vocal styles feels immensely theatrical. It's exciting to be working with composers who have a real sense of music theatre as theatre as well as as music. I want to go home! Not while your father's sick, Pat. Michael is one of a generation of composers that I think is increasingly interested in that. It's quite different to say working on an opera like by Handel or Vivaldi, where you have to find a dramatic impetus for all of those repetitions, for example. Whereas with this, the dramatic action is always moving. And I think it's the piece that kind of exists in a world in which we channel hop and we flick through different browser windows on our laptops and where we have multiple YouTube videos playing at the same time. And, you know, so I think there's something very contemporary about the way the piece is structured musically. It feels like all of those decisions are coming from a theatrical impetus and from a dramatic impetus. From the beginning, when I began working with the two co-librettists, Anne Rini Curran, the poet, and the playwright Dylan Coburn Gray, 
we sort of operated a bit like a writer's room where we would get together and talk about the story and talk about the central character, Celine. And then the three of us would go in and write sketches of different scenes. And then in the latter stage of the process, it's been as the music has evolved, I've kind of taken bits and pieces of what we've all written and sort of set that into the narrative and the arc of the opera. I find that much more coherent to what my actual creative process is than it would be to have set text and then have to set it to music, you know, Mm. or vice versa. I think really all of those things evolving at the same time is part of why the piece feels as multidisciplinary as it does. Most commissions for instrumental pieces or choral pieces, I kind of go through this period of hysteria at the beginning, you know, wondering about what my own voice is and how to be most true to that. What I found really freeing about this was as you begin to write the piece, there are these characters that emerge and then there's this world that emerges. Initially, you start thinking much more practically about music and how music serves dramaturgical functions. In a way, then lifting your ego out of the process and just trying to realise those things through music ends up, ironically, allowing you to create probably much more open music or music that is much closer to your own creative voice. So I found two years ago when we did the workshops on the opera, it was the first time really that when I heard the music out loud that I felt this feels very much like my own voice. That's been one of the great privileges of this project because the performers have been involved for such a long time. We've had the time to sit with Michael and understand not just his composition process, but the research that led him to choose to include or exclude certain things. So with the development of the character of Celine, for example, we've been talking about you know Michael's time spent in Switzerland, for example, but also books he read about asylums in Ireland. You know, we're very close to the vicinity of St. Davenant's here as we were when we did the workshop before and to you know to talk to local people in Castle Blaney about what they call the mentler has been all grist to the mill and all part of these layers and if we didn't have that background that can become pastiche very easily but because we do have the background it actually becomes very textured very layered and, and very true. One of the central things for me has been Celine's character and her voice because at times she is in this very vulnerable situation where we're really looking at her from the outside as you would maybe if you visited the hospital and then at times we're really at the center of her own vision where she's a much more powerful character and so charting the path of her voice between those two states has been something that really has opened up that idea of musical style and how to use it for example there are places where her voice sort of cracks in and out or these glitches in her voice that are very much taken from ornamentation styles from Shannos and that for me really function quite well I suppose to communicate somebody who is breaking in and out of several different trains of thought at the same time and then I suppose you know you move into these situations where she's in a much more powerful position so that as an audience member you feel where she's at before the words come out. One of the big things in Celine's voice is that she goes into this stream of consciousness that's sort of like a litany. The thing is, everything that she says is very coherent and intelligent, but there is no punctuation so she continues in this train of thought all the time and it becomes an overload of information and so what I've done is sort of set that in such a way that the conjunctions like the and so and the because and other than they're set as these sort of cluster chords that are sung back to her by 
the other voices in our head. And so those signs are coming very much from that sign world of prayer that you would have had, kind of, that it would have been common the entire way through the 20th century. And then other things like, you know, the hum of the ECT machine, you know, how to create that in a choral setting. So really finding little bits of what the sound world would have been around her in the, her situation in the hospital and setting those four voices or setting those four instruments. So it's beginning with concepts like that and then you go back to just the intuitive composition process. <laughs> I am Fiona Monbet. I'm the conductor of the Opera Elsewhere. I'm also the musical director of Miroirs Etendus, which is a French ensemble working with all the team here. Michael music is made to sound simple and to speak to people and it's completely sincere. But his way of doing that is to go by a complex way and a difficult writing for musicians to read. And you don't play it as if it was difficult. You have to find a way of playing this difficult music, but in the most flowing and simply and dancing way. And when you get to that point, it just feels completely easy and obvious. But this is not something you have the first few days because you really have to integrate the music before like feeling it. And it's really a music that you feel. We're starting to know very well the music and I can see the musician like, going forward and, 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 and really dancing with the rhythms and so this is also another dimension that arrives at some point but it, which is not there at the beginning and I am always looking for this this movement there. It's really well written for the instruments. I mean, when I, I, I'm violinist, so when I, I took the violin to work a bit on the violin parts, for example, everything is, is really uh, written for the instruments. And he also uh, met every instrument one by one three years ago. And he was writing, thinking of every person he met, which is something that doesn't happen normally. You write for the violin, for the oboe, but he wrote for the people he met the orchestra is not just an orchestra playing, you yes. know. They will be moving and they're completely part of the, of the show and of the story. And that is one of the big challenges, actually, is how to keep on this music. And the music is very difficult to play, actually. But they're moving around and they are by heart for um, most of the show because they are um, just acting also. And so this is a very, very, very challenging part of the process. And we are working at that just now with Tom. So we went through musically for the first two days, but now we're getting into the, the staging of the musicians too. That's a big thing for them because usually musicians in opera, they just stay on their chair and they play, but not in this one. What is special about this project is that we all get together uh, for a long period, but then that allows us to go uh, really far in the process of uh, the music, of the, the dimension of the project. And we already did two weeks residency two years ago in Castle Blaney here, uh, where we did this musical performance of, of the show. It just created something quite extraordinary in the, in the connection between everybody here, in, between the singers and the musicians, between Michael and us. So having everybody back is already been really special.
sometimes we do projects. We're just playing the music, you know, and we're just four or five days of, of preparing a concert. But this is not a project like that. This is a project where everybody gives a lot. So we need time. With the kind of resources and challenges that come with staging a new opera, I think it's almost inconceivable that something, you know, could be developed and be successful without this kind of process. And I think it's also, you know, testament to the vision of the Arts Council in supporting the development of new opera as well as the production of new opera. I know that you won't always have the luxury of spending three years in a project, but in this instance for me, it's been a project that I've been very I suppose, fortunate, uh, you know, sort of blessed by in the way that I've grown over the course of it. And I suppose also because I set up a company in order to make this project, not really knowing at the beginning how to do that. And over the course of the past three years, it was the company has become much more of a going concern and there's a, a bigger team in behind it. Sometimes I find that the role of a composer in theatrical projects can be quite limited or the idea of how far a composer's vision can go in terms of the realisation of the piece that can be quite limited and it's something that I've always been a little bit frustrated by because I suppose you know you spend so much time thinking about the sound world and really deliberating over how to communicate down to the slightest difference in the way that a flute plays a note or a violin plays a note so the idea that that vision wouldn't then properly bleed into all of the aspects of the project is something that really doesn't appeal to me. This is probably the way that I want to make work, you know, and that I suppose that my own musical language is something that emerges from a project and is in a very different place from where it was when I began. For me, seeing how the energy of the music that I've composed filters out into all these other aspects of the creation of the production, I think that's the exciting thing. <laughs>